The Corbin Burns trade was the perfect move the Orioles needed to make, but they had to give up some talent. And some of that talent was D.L. Hall, who I bet they were going to rely on in a big relief role. When you add that to the fact that Shintaro Fujinami just signed with the Mets, do the Orioles need one more reliever before this season starts? We'll get into that coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, February 7th, 2024, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we're going to take a look at the Orioles bullpen, because in the last week, they have officially lost two members from that bullpen last year. D.L. Hall, who was traded to the Brewers in the Corbin Burns trade, and Shintaro Fujinami, the Orioles' last remaining free agent, who signed with the Mets last week. And the Orioles certainly have a good amount of options for their pen, but without those two guys, do they feel like they might need someone extra? Could that be one more move they could make? We'll break down how the pen looks now, who's still out there, and what that decision could be for Mike Elias. Coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers join today, and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started today. So let's begin with the news of the Orioles' last remaining free agent, Signing elsewhere, it is Shintaro Fujinami, who joined the O's last year, a couple of weeks before the trade deadline, O's acquiring him from the Oakland Athletics in exchange for AAA left-handed reliever Easton Lucas. And Fujinami came over, and it was uh, certainly a roller coaster, which we will get to. He became a free agent, and while I was intrigued in bringing him back, I think one of the things that really showed us that he was probably not coming back is the fact that the O's left Fujinami off the playoff roster. It was probably the biggest point of contention with the Orioles' playoff roster. Now, I don't think Shintaro Fujinami was going to make the difference in that series, the fact that the O's got swept by the Rangers in that ALDS anyway. But there was some concern that, okay, you choose Fuji over Brian Baker, and Baker was not good at all in his one postseason appearance. But you could also kind of get with the how much... Fuji fluctuates why they made the decision that they did. But after that, you figured, okay, he's not re-signing. But as the offseason went on and relievers continued to get signed and signed out of free agency and Fuji stayed there, I thought, you know what, Fuji could be cheap and it could be a minor league deal. It could be like one year, one million. The Orioles bring him back, give him another shot. I thought as the offseason went on, it became more and more likely the O's would bring him back. But that was not the case. Fujinami finally signing a one-year $3.35 million deal with the New York Mets, he can make up to an extra 850000 on that deal with possible incentive for appearances and saves and other things like that in the contract. But it'll max out around you know four-ish million dollars for 2024. And that's not super surprising on what Fujinami got. However, the important part to note is there's really 
a very low chance that Fujinami gets a chance to start with the New York Mets. And that was something we had heard about Fuji going into the offseason, that he was still interested in finding a landing spot where he could be a starting pitcher. Remember, he was a starter for some of his time over in Japan. And when he came over in 2023 to join the Athletics, he opened the year in the starting rotation. Now, it was an absolute disaster. He had a 14.26 ERA with the A's as a starter through the first about six weeks of the season. And the only reason he got that long a leash is because the A's were one of the worst teams we've ever seen last year. And so they moved him into the bullpen and, and things got a lot better out of the pen. He was good out of the pen in Japan as well. And that is when the O's acquired him for fairly cheap to add to that bullpen. But for Fuji, it was not smooth sailing for him with the Orioles last season. He had an 8.57 ERA with the A's in 49 and a third innings before the trade, and then when the 29-year-old righty came over to the O's, he was better. 30 appearances, 29 and two-thirds innings, had a 4.85 ERA, 25% strikeout rate was good, better than league average. The 12% walk rate, while it was a little down from his time in Oakland, that is still not good. League average is around 8%. You don't want to be walking that many hitters, and it was insanely up and down for Fuji last year. There were five appearances with the O's out of 30, where he allowed two runs or more in one inning or less. There were multiple appearances where he got one out and gave up three runs like it wasn't good. He also had some really big moments. He had two extra inning saves, one in a game in Seattle and another in Anaheim where he just got huge, huge outs for the Orioles in those spots. He actually saved the Cedric Mullins game after Mullins robbed the homer and then hit the two-run homer in the top of the 10th. The Orioles did not have, seemingly at that point in the game, Felix Bautista, they went to Fuji. And then that crazy game in Anaheim, the back-and-forth game where D.L. Hall blew the save, the O's took the lead, they gave it back. It was Fuji who got the big strikeout to finally end that game in Anaheim as well. He pitched in some big moments. But to end his season, his final five appearances for the Orioles in September in the regular season only lasted three and a third innings and allowed five earned runs in those final five outings. And that was kind of... The difference maker right there, I think Fuji was right on that roster bubble with Mike Bauman and Brian Baker for that final playoff bullpen spot, and it was given to Brian Baker, and, and honestly, at that point of the season, it felt like none of those three were great choices. The only reason they were choices is because John Means got scratched from the postseason with the elbow soreness, so everybody kind of moved up a spot, and one opening came in the back end of the bullpen, and it was those three guys, and Bauman had a terrible second half. Baker had been in AAA for most of the time in the second half, although he was pitching very well in AAA at the time, and Fuji had been struggling. So Brandon Hyde went with a guy in Baker who he's you know had around the big leagues for the longest and was having the most recent success, although it was in Norfolk and not in Baltimore. And yeah, Baker didn't pitch well, but it's kind of the Orioles starter's fault for getting to a point where Brian Baker had to pitch in those playoff scenarios. So at that point, when Fuji wasn't on the playoff roster, I think we kind of knew he wasn't coming back. But honestly... Once the O's got Corbin Burns, too, it, it kind of felt like, you know, could this be the the perfect time where you bring back Fuji? Now, the, the Fuji deal happened before the Corbin Burns trade, but just in general, once you get Burns and you feel like, okay, this pitching rotation is pretty much set, maybe we could lose use one more reliever because, again, you also trade away D.L. Hall in that deal who was definitely going to be a part of the back end of your bullpen. And maybe you just go to Fuji because it might not be the number one option left, but... 
he throws 100 miles an hour. You know, the fastball basically averages 98-99. He's up to 100-101. It's a devastating splitter. Thing's got a 37% whiff rate. It's a really, really good 88-mile-per-hour cutter. And remember, that splitter is 93 miles per hour. You don't see a pitch like that. Now, I get the issues with Fuji. He generally does not know where the baseball is going. It is very, very low-grade command for Shintaro Fujinami. But when he knew, or at least half knew where it was going, he was filthy in those stretches with the O's last year. So I wouldn't have minded bringing him back. And the reporting at this point around his deal with the Mets is that there's nothing in his contract that prohibits him from being optioned down to AAA. There was a lot of questions about that with his deal with the A's last year. And then once he came to the Orioles and he struggled, like, could they send him to AAA? I think by the end we figured out, no, he couldn't be optioned. But if that was a scenario the O's could have done, I feel like that would have been perfect. You could bring him in on a cheap major league deal, two, three, four million dollars with the ability to option him to Norfolk if he struggled. I feel like that would have been a perfect depth piece for this bullpen who still could have certainly won an opening day roster spot out of this pen, but he doesn't do so. And well, the Orioles ended up not bringing back any of their five free agents. Jack Flaherty, a one-year deal with the Tigers. I think we all know that wasn't happening. Kyle Gibson thought it was a possibility they bring him back. One-year deal with the Cardinals. Adam Frazier, he wasn't coming back. One-year deal with the Royals. Fujinami, thought there was a chance there. One-year deal with the Mets. And then Aaron Hicks, there was reporting from Bob Nightingale last week that the Orioles actually made a push to re-sign Aaron Hicks, which I'd been talking about throughout the offseason. I thought it would have been a good idea. But he signed a one-year deal with the Angels, most likely because A, he's from California, Anaheim much closer to home. And B, despite the fact that they have Mike Trout, there's not much more around it. And honestly, there is a better, quicker, easier path to solid playing time in the Angels outfield than there is in the Orioles outfield in 2024. And, you know, Hicks is getting the same money no matter where he goes because he's getting paid $10 million still by the Yankees this year, which means any team just pays him like the league minimum of about $750,000. So it's more about his fit. That's probably why he went to the Angels, but O's didn't uh, end up retaining any of those five guys. But I think I would have brought back Fuji. Let, let me know in the comments here on YouTube. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles podcast on YouTube. But let me know in the comments, would you have brought back Fuji, especially for this year, deal, deal? Basically, one year, three and a half million dollars with a potential to option him. I feel like the O's should have done that, but they didn't. And here we are. So, no DL Hall, no Fuji in the bullpen. And also, I mean, I guess you can say no Michael Givens. He really gave him nothing last year anyway, but they did sign him to a major league deal. Do they need another reliever? The team feels pretty complete and ready to go. Pitchers and catchers report in a week. But do they need one more relief arm? Let's take a look at what the bullpen is and who's out there. That's coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl week. To all those who celebrate, that's coming from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. I always love the props that go on with the Super Bowl as well. And FanDuel has so many ways to end the season with a W or two or even three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. And new customers you can join today, and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. 
Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. So the Orioles deciding, or at least they got outbid to, bring back Shintaro Fujinami, signing a one-year deal with the New York Mets last week. And again, I was on board with bringing Fuji back, just with that stuff, giving him an off-season or a spring training with the Orioles, pitching coaches and, and working on honing that command. Maybe you feel like he's pushing 30 years old. At this point, the command is always going to be an issue. I would understand that point of view as well, but I just thought it was worth the risk. You know, it's low risk if he doesn't work out. You could DFA him if you had to. It's not like you were going to, you know, bring him in and have him be your eighth inning guy immediately. He was going to be maybe the final guy in the bullpen, and I thought it would have been worth it. thought the O's could have gotten him a, a little closer to what you need to be command-wise to be a big league reliever, but Hopefully he has some success with the Mets and uh, he can kind of pull it all together because he's got some insanely, insanely good stuff. But Fuji's out and D.L. Hall's out, traded to the Brewers in the Corbin Burns deal. So here's what the Earl's bullpen looks like at this point heading into spring training. And pitchers and catchers report on Valentine's Day next Wednesday, one week from today. And in terms of their projected bullpen right now, Here's what I project to be the eight relievers that make the O's bullpen. Craig Kimbrell, obviously, brought him in on a one-year deal. He's going to be the closer, the replacement for Felix Bautista, who will miss the entire season after getting Tommy John surgery. Yinier Cano was just unbelievable, just not words to describe what he did last year. He'll be one of the setup men. Danny Coulomb will be a number one, another one, just a fantastic find by the Orioles right before opening day 2023. He was great last season. CNL Perez had his struggles in the first half, but pulled it together and was one of the Orioles' best relievers in the second half. He'll certainly have a place in this pen as well. It looks like Tyler Wells, with the addition of Corbin Burns, will not be getting a rotation spot, but even if he doesn't have that, he will certainly have a bullpen spot with the Orioles with what he did down the stretch and in the playoffs in the pen last year after struggling as a starter in the second half. Cole Irvin is an interesting case. You know, it wasn't great last year, but he did sh show some flashes as a reliever in the second half of last season. And listen, Irvin's a big league pitcher, and he's now out of options. I think at the very least, he'll just be the long man in this bullpen. You always need a long man in the bullpen. And even more than that, he could be a short reliever and a good one. He showed he could do it last year. He'll get a spot in this pen. I would say at this point, those are the six locked-in relievers for the Orioles bullpen. There's basically two spots up for grabs. I think, heading into spring training. And to be honest with you right now, I mean, there's eight relievers competing for those two spots and a few more who are non-roster invites. The Orioles actually announced their 19 non-roster invites on Tuesday. We'll probably get to those a little later this week on the show. But you're basically looking at the, the returning guys who played a role last year. So Mike Bauman, Jacob Webb, Brian Baker, Keegan Aiken, and Nick Vespi. You're looking at Dylan Tate who is seemingly healthy and returning after missing all of last year. And then you're looking at a couple of outside additions who could play a factor here in the righty Jonathan Heasley and the lefty Tucker Davidson. I think those are the eight competing for the two spots. And right now, I would guess at least pushing the way of Mike Bauman and Jacob Webb getting those final two spots. And that's not to say Dylan Tate won't be as good as he was before the arm injury, but you just don't know with Dylan Tate. Like, we have no idea after missing all that time last year what he's going to be like in 2024, if he'll be anything close to what he was two years ago. And here's the other kicker. Dylan Tate has minor league options. Bauman and Webb do not. So if Bauman or Webb don't make the team, you got to put them through waivers. And I guarantee you, a team is going to claim one of Bauman or Webb on waivers. At the very worst, a bad team to put him in the bullpen. Even a good team 
could probably use one of those guys as one of the lesser spots in their bullpen. So on the flip side, Tate, Baker, Aiken, Vespi, all those guys have minor league options, which makes them much easier to start in AAA. So then you look at Bauman and Webb and you say, okay, yes, the Orioles would not love to DFA those guys, but if you can get a legitimate upgrade out of one of those two, you do it because you are trying to win a World Series in 2024. The Orioles told us that with the Corbin Burns trade last week. And again, if Dylan Tate outperforms one of those two guys, it doesn't matter about his options. He will be on the opening day roster and one of them won't because again, they are trying to win a World Series this year. But if you're looking at Mike Bauman, who was good in the first half last year, but completely fell apart in the second half. No command, home runs galore. That's why he ended the year in AAA. You're looking at Jacob Webb, who was picked up in August and was like awesome for three weeks, then was kind of shaky, and then was really, really bad in the postseason when the Orioles turned to him. Gave up a home run in each of the first two games of that series. You've got questions about those guys. Brian Baker, can he throw a strike? We don't know. We know the stuff's there. Is the command there? We just don't know. Keegan Aiken, injury issues. Does he have a secondary pitch after that good fastball? Nick Vespi, he still only throws 90 miles an hour. Is that velocity going to hurt him? Like, there are questions about all of these guys. And you're okay with maybe one reliever in your bullpen, right, with questions. That's okay. You got a guy with good stuff, maybe bad command. You can fix him. But if you're looking at two guys in Bauman and Webb with questions, or even three guys, because we still don't know exactly what Cole Irvin is, do you want a little more stability there? And I think, in theory... You actually do at this point. That's the thing here. Like looking at this bullpen right now, if I had my way, I would bring in one more veteran kind of middle relief to set up guy to just strengthen things up. And if that meant, you know, Bauman or Webb had to be DFA'd, that's okay. And honestly, I'd probably start with Jacob Webb just because, yeah, someone will claim him and he's got some good stuff and he was really good at times last year, but you brought him in last August. It's not like a huge loss to give up a guy who you only had for two months last offseason. So I'd be okay with going and getting somebody else and you, 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 know, you eventually have to DFA Webb if he doesn't make the team. You still give him a chance in spring training, but that's totally fine with me. I think an upgrade would be big for this bullpen. And, and throughout the offseason, there were options there. And I kept saying, you know, even though the Orioles signed Craig Kimbrell, to replace Felix Bautista for just the one year. I felt like they could have used another veteran because you don't know what you're getting from Dylan Tate. And they did it last year. Now, it didn't work out at all. It was a bad move to bring in Michael Givens on that one-year deal. But I figured they would try to do that again just to sure up the bullpen. And I was kind of surprised that they never did it. I mean, these are moves that wouldn't cost much. These are guys out there, one year, five million, you bring them in, you make your team a little bit better. I thought that was an easy move. I'm sure they had feelers out there on some of these guys, but just never found the right fit. And they did bring in some interesting names in Heasley and Tucker Davidson, who weren't exactly big league signings, but, you know, a minor trade and a, and a waiver claim. And they brought in some guys on minor league deals who will get a shot in big league spring training. And you know, even have some younger guys that even mentioned, like, the Orioles want Chase McDermott and Cade Povich to be starters. But, you know, you never know. They could turn into relief weapons, at least at some point this year when they make their major league debut. So they're certainly in the fold as well. But I just feel like they could use one more veteran piece in that bullpen. Here's the issue with that, though. You look at what's left here on February 7th. It is not much. And it is even less than it was at the beginning of this week. So coming up next to finish off the pod, we'll take a look at who is left out there in terms of relief arms that could actually help the Orioles. And take a look at maybe why, at this point, you might just go in 
to spring training with what you have. So the Orioles' bullpen, looking pretty solid at this point, but I feel like it could be one veteran reliever short. And the good thing about that is, even if you go into the season with just this group, this is a solid group, and they've got a lot of options well again. Dylan Tate, Brian Baker, Hegan Aiken, Nick Vespi, all those guys have minor league options, which means you can send them up and down. And that's that's solid big league relief depth. But I just feel like they could get an upgrade over either Jacob Webb or Mike Bauman as a free agent out there, right? There were some good names. And when I started to plan out this episode of the podcast early in the week, I was like, all right, Wednesday, we're going to do the Fuji stuff. We're going to talk about D.L. Hall being gone. We're going to talk about the bullpen. And that is when I did my, okay, full, let's reset. Let's look at who is still out there in terms of free agent relievers. And when I did that, I still saw two names out there who really still excited me, who I thought, okay, if the O's went and got this guy, brought him in on a one-year deal, I think he'd really help the bullpen. I think the O's could make him even better, and this would be a perfect fit. Those two guys were a couple of right-handers, a couple of veterans in Ryan Brazier and Jacob Junis. They were both, earlier this offseason, on my Orioles free agent reliever wish list when I ranked the top 10 relievers I'd like to see the O's go after. They, they were both on there. Here's the issue with that. From the time I planned out this episode on Monday to recording it here on Tuesday night, Brazier and Junis both signed elsewhere. Ryan Brazier, who was pretty good with the Red Sox a couple of years ago, then just kept getting worse and worse. The Red Sox DFA'd him early in the season. Dodgers bring him in, teach him a cutter. Basically, nobody hits the cutter. And Brazier posts a 0.70 ERA in 39 innings down the stretch with the Dodgers. I was like, this is incredible. I know he's 36. You can get a really good one season out of him. Here is the issue. The Dodgers knew that as well. And the Dodgers, operating with unlimited money and look like to be a super team that could win the World Series, I don't blame Ryan Brazier for going there, especially for the fact that the Dodgers gave him a two-year deal. 36-year-old relievers don't get a lot of two-year deals, but Brazier signed a two-year, $9 million deal on Monday to return to the Los Angeles Dodgers to shore up their bullpen, which... I get it, all right? Not mad. I understand. So then I turned to Jacob Junis. And Junis, kind of even more interesting because he's another guy who probably would only command like a one-year fairly cheap deal. And he's been an interesting kind of guy. He's a right-hander with this really good slider. His fastball needs a lot of work. Gets hit too hard, but the slider is ridiculously good. And he's been kind of a swingman with the Giants last year. They couldn't quite figure out, is he a starter? Is he a reliever? Quite frankly, the Giants did that with a lot of their pitchers last season. But he threw 86 innings, and he had a 3.87 ERA with the Giants as a swingman. If you can get 3.87 ERA in 86 innings, that is a pretty valuable reliever to have on your team. And I felt like he was going to be pretty cheap. 26% strikeout rate, really good. 6% walk rate, really good. Like, this was a perfect fit, I felt like, for the O's. And if you needed it, he could also still be starting pitching depth because he did make four starts for the Giants last year. And he's made even more of them in the past for the Giants and with the Royals when he was with them to begin his career as well. So I felt like this could be the guy. Well, on Tuesday, Jacob Junis signs a one-year, $7 million deal with the Milwaukee Brewers. And that made a lot of sense for Jacob Junis because the Orioles, there was a good chance if they signed Junis, he doesn't start a game at all this year. They're telling Junis, listen, you're going to come in and be a reliever. For the Milwaukee Brewers, who just traded away their ace, Corbin Burns, to the Orioles and lost Brandon Woodruff to injury, they need starting pitchers. 
And they probably told Jacob Junis, hey, if you come here, you will get a legitimate chance to win a rotation job in spring training. And starters, listen, they throw more innings and they make more money than relievers do. So I get it for Jacob Junis picking that spot, just like I get it for Ryan Brazier picking the Dodgers. So after that, I looked around the rest of the relief corps that are out there. I think if I'm the Orioles, I think I'm just sticking with what I got at this point where we've gotten to this point where there's not much left. Ryan Stanek is still out there, right-handed pitcher who was initially with the Rays, if you remember that. He was kind of the first opener back in like 2018, 2019 when they started using the opener. Stanek was the guy they would almost always use. Then he went over to the Astros, and he's been fine. He threw 51 innings with the Astros and had a 4.09 ERA last year. Like, he's a fine righty with a good changeup. Yeah, he'd probably help the team. Like, sure, but not really exciting at all. Other than that, you got Jesse Chavez, who is 40 years old and might retire. He's been with the Braves. A couple of veteran lefties and Brad Hand and Aaron Loop out there. If this were a couple of years ago, like, sign me up for Brad Hand and Aaron Loop. Both of them gone kind of downhill the last couple of years. They're more fringe big league relievers than like your best lefty in the bullpen, which is what they each used to be a couple of years ago. And you continue to look around and you're like, am I excited about Eric Lauer, the former brewer who was a starter and then just kind of fell apart and they non-tendered him? Like, I'm kind of at the point where there's just not enough exciting out there. Really the only guy out there left as a free agent besides, of course, Jordan Montgomery and Blake Snell, who are both out there as starters, and I would still love to see the Orioles bring one of those guys in to make the rotation even better. But beyond those two, the only guy who would maybe excite me at all would be going after Michael Lorenzen. And we already talked about it last week. The Orioles have shown interest in Lorenzen. He's been a starter the last two years. He only projects to get like a one-year $11 million contract. Not bad. But he also had been, you know, mostly with the Reds, a relief pitcher for most of his career, and he could certainly fill back into that role again. And he could be a swingman, you could have him make some spot starts, he could be great starting pitching depth, he could even, he wouldn't win it, but he could compete for a starting job in spring training. The only issue with Lorenzen and trying to bring him in as a swingman reliever slash starter type guy is that he'd have the same problem as if the Orioles were trying to get Jacob Junis. For Lorenzen, there are certainly teams that will try to sign him for the rest of this offseason that will all but guarantee him a starting rotation job. A team like the Brewers even. You know, some teams that are much worse, have much less starting pitching than the Orioles do, are still probably going to want Lorenzen as a starter. And again, he's probably going to take a one-year deal. He's probably going to hit free agency again next year. And he's going to want to be a starter, which is going to make him more money next offseason as he maybe tries then to get a multi-year deal as a starting pitcher. So even though I would go after Lorenzen, I feel like at this point when the O's can't really guarantee him anything in terms of a starting role, he's probably going to sign elsewhere. So while I would like the O's to get another reliever and maybe they could try to make some sort of minor trade and add somebody that way, I think they're just going into spring training with the group they have. And I mentioned the six, Kimbrel, Cano, Coulomb, Perez, Wells, and Irvin, they're going to be in the bullpen. And you just let Mike Bauman, Jacob Webb, Dylan Tate, Brian Baker, and you know Aiken, Vespi, Heasley, Davidson, and, and those guys just fight it out. And you say, hey, there's, there's pretty much two openings in this bullpen go at it. And the hope would be that, you know, Dylan Tate is back to his usual self and he's a good setup guy for you. And maybe Brian Baker learns how to command his changeup and that stuff gets him into the bullpen or Mike Bauman, his first half Mike Bauman or Jacob Webb looks like he did when he first came to the O's or, you know, maybe something clicks 
for, for Nick Vespi or, or Tucker Davidson with that changeup or something, and you find the two guys you like and you go with that. And I trust the Orioles to do that. They have built bullpens over the past few years kind of off the scrap heap, so they can do it. I would have liked probably another veteran, but I think the way this team is built, they can get by with this depth. Someone will emerge from that depth group to be better than we think. It happens every single year. I'm going to throw the name out. I'm going to kind of stake a claim on this. I think Tucker Davidson could be the guy. He's not even on the 40, man, but I think he could be the guy. But one of these guys is going to step up and grab that spot. You know what? That's okay. It's not the security you want going into spring training, but the Orioles, if that's their biggest problem, they're in a good spot heading into 2024. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to leave a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen. And of course, like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles page on YouTube. We're getting very close to 6,000 subscribers. Thank you all for all your support over the last week. Huge week it was for the Orioles last week with the sale and then the Corbin Burns trade. Keep those subscribers coming. If we get to 6,000 subscribers, we're going to do a very, very fun giveaway right here on the YouTube channel. So make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Again, we are back for the first week of our in-season mode here on the podcast, which means five days a week, new episodes Monday through Friday, which means we're back tomorrow. And tomorrow, we're turning the attention back a little bit to the sale. We were talking sale, and then we got Corbin Burns, but we still got to go back to that. Now, it hasn't been approved yet, but I wanted to take a look at, okay, once David Rubenstein officially takes over the Orioles, what should his checklist be? What should the early to-do list be? The top three things he needs to do immediately when taking over as control person of the O's. Get to that on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.